0: Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, show number 250, where we talk to Matthew about pulling a 180 and switching careers to generate more income and reaching a point where you are at Coast 5 Plus.
1: Since then, it's obviously compounded, right? So, I've been being in five years in analytics, I've nearly doubled since then. So, like looking back and kind of hitting my 10 year mark, right? Looking back and saying, 10 years ago, working in a restaurant, making $10 an hour, I'm now making, you know, 100 times that. Uh, well, 100 maybe exaggerative, but yeah.
0: Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen. And with me today is my switch flipping co host, Scott Trench.
2: You are always generating current introductions, Mindy. Thank you so much.
0: Oh, God. <laughs> Scott and I are here. <laughs> Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else to introduce you to every money story because we truly believe financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting.
2: That's right. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big time investments in assets like real estate, start your own business, or just figure out what you want to do with a flexible financial position, we'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so you can launch yourself towards those dreams.
0: I am really excited about our guest today because Matthew used to be a chef. And while he is very passionate about food, he is also very passionate about not being poor. And when he was a chef, his hourly wage was slightly above minimum wage. And when he transitioned to IT, what do you know? His income went up and now he is in a financial position that is quite enviable for his young age.
2: Yeah, I I mean, this is. This is a guy who's made a, a a number of really good, I think, financial decisions over the course of his his you know late teens and early twenties with this and is in a really, really good position with all this kind of stuff. And I think, you know, having made that, that career pivot um, it's kind of like, what do I want to do next um, with this? (laughs) I'm kind of crushing it with, with a a lot of these things. And that can be the hardest question of all, but the, it's a much better problem. I think to have that, that than to know what you want to do, but not be able to do it because you've got a large large amount of debt or uh, are in a weak financial position. So kudos to him for having built a strong position. And, um, you know, I'm I'm really interested to see what he decides to do next.
0: Before we bring in Matthew, I have to tell you that the contents of this podcast are informational in nature and are not legal or tax advice. And neither Scott nor I nor Bigger Pockets is engaged in the provision of legal, tax or any other advice. You should seek your own advice from professional advisors, including lawyers and accountants, regarding the legal, tax, and financial implications of any financial decision you
2: contemplate. When it comes to financial guidance, you gotta trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I wanna upgrade our wallets,
0: minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions. The easiest way to collect rent? Rent RentApp. RentApp is a seamless, secure, free payment tool for small rental property owners like you and me. Built by a team of fintech veterans behind Square and Cash App, RentApp uses ACH bank transfers to deposit rent directly into your account. Landlords love RentApp for its unbeatable convenience. Isn't it time you made rent collection easier? Rent app. The free and easy way to collect rent. Learn more at rent.app/landlord. That's rent.app/landlord. Matthew, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. This is going to be kind of a hybrid money story and Finance Friday all wrapped in one. I'm excited to hear your story and jump into your numbers. So let's get to it. Where does your journey with money begin?
1: my journey with money begins probably at an early age when I realized that we honestly didn't have a lot of it. And so, um, I had kind of always been chasing this dream of, um, you know, working hard, you'll be successful. And, um, right around my twenties, I realized that it wasn't necessarily the case. And so I kind of had to flip the script, which is, um, where I think I have an interesting story to tell.
2: Awesome. So how'd you flip the
1: script? Uh, how'd you flip the script? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I come from, uh, a family who's entrenched in like hospitality, food service. Um, and I thought that kind of, kind of was the easiest path to start, um, earning money. Right. So working at, um pizza restaurants coffee shops um hotels um and kind of the next step of um post high school was going to culinary school right and um for me at least kind of making the most of what i had invested in culinary school was kind of go big or go home right and my mentality was well we're going to i'm going to kind of go work at some of the best restaurants that i can get into and uh, did that for a few years, and when I realized that working 40 to 60 hours a week wasn't sustainable, and um, the hourly rate that I was getting wasn't necessarily worth what I had put into it, um, I thought, well, um, I was always kind of good at math and science. Let's let's go revisit school and see where I can kind of apply this same level of, amb- of ambition I had uh, towards something uh, different. And so... Uh, went back and studied statistics and uh, graduated top of my class. And um, then I'm now working kind of like the tech space. So, um, you know, I'm in my late 20s now, uh, spent five years as a chef and now five years as an analyst. So I can say that, you know, my 10 years of uh, professional working experience have kind of been divvied up in two extremes.
0: I like that. I like the extremes. I have also had a varied career. Um, I find it interesting that you went to culinary school, worked there for a little bit and then decided, oh, this dollar per hour is not very much. I have worked in a lot of restaurants and the chefs are always there. They're never not there. If the the restaurant's open, if the restaurant's not open, because somebody's got to cut the carrots and all the other stuff. So it just seemed Mm -hmm. like they didn't have a life. They were always working. And there I mean, of course, they were closed on Mondays. Well, who cares? You have one day off a week and the other days off, you're like working. I mean, when you said 40 hours, I was like, that's it? Were you guys closed three days a week? Were you only open for dinner? Like 40 hours a week as a chef in like a high level chef seems really low, doesn't it?
1: Um, and maybe I was being uh optimistic in that, not wanting to admit <laughs> that I was working 70 hours a week, but um, I was working while I was going to school, going to culinary school. So kind of had to juggle two at a certain point and then took the time that I had, uh, from school once I graduated and then reinvested that back in working more restaurants. So, um, at a certain point on the lows, maybe it was 40, but, uh, after working one job Monday through, or let's say Tuesday through Saturday, and then the, the odd restaurant that was open Sunday and Monday, you know, I was working close to 60 or 70 hours a week. Um, and you know, I think um, it gets a bad rap for kind of the, the, the hours that we had worked, but you know, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it while I was doing it. And so looking back on it, maybe the time invested, um, I don't see that in my pocket now, but definitely the experience that I went through is well worth it. So yeah, what, what was
2: that from a financial perspective? Did you incur debt um, while going to culinary school or how'd that
1: work? So I'm very fortunate to have um, kind of a, a supportive family. And so um, I was staying at home with my parents and um, I was also very lucky enough to have a scholarship to go to culinary school. So, you know, there's a couple top tier culinary schools um, across the country that'll charge you anywhere from 30 to $40,000 for an equivalent of an associate's degree. Um, And then and then um, you you would have to go around and then work at a restaurant that pays close to minimum wage. I was on the other end of the spectrum where. Uh, I went to a community college um and got a scholarship. So not only was the um you know, out of pocket cost very minimal, um I was I also got subsidies through the scholarship. So
2: yeah. Okay, and, and what kind of um you say hourly rate wasn't very high. What is the hourly rate? What 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 can one expect to earn in this industry?
1: Close to minimum wage, if not um, you know, a few dollars on top. So um where I'm living, I think the minimum wage is seven fifteen, six forty five ish. And a chef can expect to make ten dollars an hour. So uh when you're working sixty hours a week, um one restaurant may offer to pay you overtime. So you're making fifteen bucks an hour at that. Um, but in comparison to other professions, like as a starting salary or starting hour hourly, that's relatively low, I think.
2: No, makes sense. So, so walk us back through that catalyst and uh, for for the change and how you financed um, the the beginning getting started in the new career. Sure.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, going into it, working or being a part of a family who's kind of always been in hospitality, I realized that you know this is probably my easiest barrier to entry to like some sort of professional life. And uh, kind of looking back at it, looking at my parents and realizing that, you know, we had a relatively modest, and, um, modest, uh, upbringing. Um, but I knew that maybe possibly there were other opportunities for me. So I said, you know, I've got uh, a scholarship to go, go to culinary school. I've got these ambitions to kind of work at, um, some really awesome restaurants to get that experience underneath my belt. Um, whether it be professional or personal experience, um, I, I thought, you know, maybe there's something else. And so I, I, told myself, let's go big or go home, because the last thing I want to do is kind of leave regrets on the table and, um, worked at some of these restaurants that I had kind of aspired to ever, to, to work at at an, a, a young age, uh, checked those off my list and then said, okay, let's go kind of explore other life paths. Right. And so I guess kind of one of the things that, um, I had told myself at least was, you know, well, I guess the phrase is, um, you know, work uh, work, uh, do what you love you'll never work a day in your life. Right. Um, I re-engineered that in saying that, like, do what allows you to do what you love. And so for me, you know, I may not, um, want to work in analytics 60 hours a week. I enjoy the work. Right. And it's intellectually stimulating and I love the people that I work with. And then another benefit is that I, um, also get to have my hobbies and free time with family and, you know, weekends to myself more or less. And so, um, going into that catalyst, I, I realized that, you know, much like culinary school, I'd have to invest heavy up front, go to, go to college, um, get my bachelor's and then kind of segue into a master's and then kind of really carve out, um, or not carve out, but catch up on the experience that I had lacked. Um, being in my mid-20s at that point.
0: So this is something that I think is very interesting. We expect our 18-year-olds who are graduating high school to automatically know what they want to do for the rest of their life. And I didn't. I chose something that was frivolous and stupid. And I worked there for maybe a year after going to college for four years to try and and, uh, become a fashion designer. And I was like a secretary for a fashion designer. Like it wasn't It wasn't my passion, but it was also like, it was really low paying too. So that was a bonus. Um, But I look at my husband and he chose, uh, first he chose pharmacy technician and then decided that he did not want to work in the pharmacy going forward. So he switched careers or he switched majors right at the end of his college. And, um, or maybe he went to pharmacy school I should really learn his actual story. He went to pharmacy school one year and then decided that wasn't for him. And he went to a an IT certificate course, got it. It was like three or $6,000 to do this course. And then now he's making almost what he would have made in, and it was like a six-week program or a 12-week program or something, but he's making almost what he would have made if he had gone to pharmacy school for two more years. And then because hmm. he's in IT and this was in like, the late 90s, the, the Y2K bug for, you don't even know what this is, Scott, the Y2K bug came and that was like this big problem. And then all of a sudden that was gone away. But like tech salaries have just gone up and up and up. And he was able to make so much more money that allowed him to retire early and do what he wants. So if you're sitting here 18 years old and you're like, hmm, I think I might want to be a chef, but I'm not sure. Go work in a restaurant and like a high-end restaurant and watch those chefs work Hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember what his name was. We called him Chefo. <laughs> but he was there all the time, every single day. Lunch rush, dinner rush. We didn't serve breakfast. He was there from open to close every day. Um, and my husband worked 40 hours a week and made a boatload of money and now is retired. And like you, if, if you don't know what you want to do, go into IT, go into tech, look at you know, study business, do these like general, you know, you like math, great. Math is awesome for some people. If you like math, there's a lot of opportunities for you just by getting a degree in math or statistics or, you know, all these different things. I think it's really unfair that we expect 18 year olds to know what they're going to do. And if you don't have like this burning passion to be whatever it is, you know, study something more general and go, you know, go where the money is so that you can, like you, I love the way you said that do what allows you to do what you love.
2: Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And I think that, you know, if you have a burning passion, like you're going to, you're going to read up and, and, and going to be, you know, you're going to climb to the top of your field in history or language arts or whatever. All right. Fair enough. You got to take your shot with that. But if you're, if you're like not 100% convinced and you kind of like it and you just like it better than the next thing, I think, I think that's where you seriously consider, hey, maybe I'd like working 34 hours a week as a chef um, at this restaurant, but the statistics is going to pay me nearly double uh, within a year or two um, on an hourly basis. What I'm earning here, I can always come back to that later um, with that. So I, I think it's a great, a great point here. And so, so what was that, that, that outcome for you? How, how, how much of an increase or quality of life improvement were you able to achieve once you finished your degree and, and started? Uh,
1: I think, I think more generally people who would know me would describe me as like a masochist and like a a full-time hobbyist. Right. So I wouldn't say that I necessarily traded off the um, quality of life with things that, you know, people assume are, you know, uh, free time, time with family um, movies, games, whatever it might be. I actually kind of picked up like other interests, other um, hobbies, other side gigs. And so uh, that's kind of what it more translated to is like I was able to take that free time that I would normally normally been in the kitchen um, or in school um, and kind of translated that to either um, learning a new thing, um, starting a new small side hustle business, um, which we can kind of delve into. But that's kind of where I've always put my curiosity, my energy, my yeah interest, I guess, um, is just. How can I, more bluntly, how how can I make more money for myself, right? Um, and how can I kind of keep this momentum going, right? Um, and that's kind of where I've kind of transferred it to. What's the end goal? What is the end goal? That is a good question. Um, I would um, I would say probably build a foundation for myself so that I can not not feel the need to kind of chase chase be chasing something, right? Um, who knows what that number will be or when that will come. Um, but I think I kind of enjoy, um, how I pick up things and give it my all, um, when I discover them. Right. And I don't know how long I'll, I'll, I'll keep this up, but I enjoy it now. And so I'm assuming like, I'm assuming when I have kids or when I have too much to juggle, I'll probably start to realize that my priorities in life. So, so, what, what,
2: um, what I'm trying to get here, like, my, my, what I'm trying to learn is what was the change that happened from the I the transition to the IT degree? What, what, how did that? How did your income change on an annualized basis or dollar oh, per yeah, hour? Yeah, sure. And then, from, how, how did you begin my, building assets uh, and net worth in the, in that context as well?
1: Yeah, sure. So I think um, income immediately upon graduation, uh, I think I was offered a job we can get more into the financials around, uh, $65,000. And so coming from working as a chef, right. I was like, this is amazing. Right. Like I'd never imagined making 40 plus dollars an hour. Right. And, um, I get to wear fancy clothes. I don't have to wear a chef getup. And, um, you know, your hours are somewhat reasonable and, um, since then it's obviously compounded, right? So I've been being in five years in analytics, I've nearly doubled since then. So like looking back and kind of hitting my 10 year mark, right. Looking back and saying 10 years ago, working in a restaurant, making $10 an hour, I'm now making, you know, a hundred times that, uh, well hundred, maybe exaggerative, but yeah.
2: Awesome. And, and what, what, are, how are you, um, how are you building wealth as, as this, has, as this has transpired?
1: Sure. Yeah. So kind of, um, stuck to my spending habits um, from being a chef, right? So uh, as Mindy likes to do is buy used, right? Source Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace uh, and a thrift more or less, right? Um, while I can very much afford buying something full-priced or new, part of me likes a good deal. So I kind of stick to that. <laughs> and uh, then... Um, As far as like building wealth, like obviously keeping that savings rate really high, Um, but then uh, saving really heavily into like my 401k, IRA, HSA, and then more recently uh, after kind of surpassing this uh, emergency fund investing in taxable accounts because I'm going through and I'm maxing all of my tax divert accounts. And so um, kind of trying to optimize from that perspective now where I'm on the fence is Um, am I saving too heavily in tax advantaged accounts and should I be investing more so in, um, things that are more liquid, right? Maybe taxable investing, um, or real estate. Awesome. And, and, um, how,
2: how, how, how is this kind of accelerated? Like, have you, have you been, were you able to max out those retirement accounts when you first started, or has that been kind of a, a recent development as you've doubled your, your income over the last couple of years?
1: Um, I would say that my, the ease at which I was able to save exponentiated, but I've always tried to live as, as frugally, as modest as possible. I'll give you like an example. Um, I would say my, my third car was, uh, a little Honda CRV. Um, I think I bought it for like $2,300. Right. And I drove that, um, for five years up until three years ago. Right. And at any point I could have afforded a newer car. Right. I think at that point it was 15 years old. Um, and I told myself, okay, when this car hits 330,000 miles, I'll retire it. It'll probably die anyways. And you know what, it, it didn't die. And so I I sold it for 500 bucks or something and, uh, upgraded to a five-year-old car. Right. So, Still not new off the lot, but I've kind of stuck with that mentality in that um, I've tried to keep my savings rate relatively high um, and, um, yeah, just live as frugally as possible. And so with the uh, bump in salary, it's just kind of exponentiated that.
0: Well, let's dive into your numbers then. And before we do that, let's talk about what part of the world you live in. Would you classify your current location as a low cost of living area, medium or high?
1: So, um, We're currently living in a low-cost of living area, um, but planning to relocate. We actually just bought a home in a medium-to-cost-of-living area, right? So we're going from uh, a rent rate to a fixed mortgage. So uh, while we may be suspect to or subject to a 5% year-over-year increase in our rent, uh, we're kind of locking in that rent as we're moving to a medium-cost-of-living area at the same rate. So as far as expenses goes, it's a wash except now we are building equity.
0: Okay. And what is your salary?
1: Sure. Yeah, so um, prior to booking the podcast, I was uh, working at a financial services company, right? Making 97 including bonus and I actually just accepted a position for a larger com- a larger tech company making 130 base plus equity. So Oh. Uh, so that's yeah, a little bit so more. So a significant increase. Yeah, exactly. And so Running through the numbers prior to the podcast, uh, I was like, I can save a a lot more and I can essentially live off of what I was living on beforehand, right? Except, you know, a lot of it's going, a lot more of it's going towards uh, after-tax 401k contributions, which is an option my my employer provides.
0: Um, The 130 base and then you said equity options, uh, are you accounting, let's see. I think since we don't know what those numbers are, let's just not include those for right now. Do you have any additional income? Mm -hmm. You alluded to a side job.
1: So I do have some side hustles and um, I try my best to account them for tax purposes. Um, But a a few of them, a few of them are, um, essentially I am trying to, Sees, I guess, U.S. mint coin drops and determine whether or not there's like a market for them, given that they're a limited release. And so, I think over the last eight months or six months, I've made five thousand doing that. So, um, I, that's been interesting. I do a good amount of manufactured spending. So, if anyone's familiar with that, um, there are buying groups out there that um, will pay you for product that you ship to their warehouse. And then essentially you just net the either cashback portal or credit card rewards. I mean, there was another one where it was um, essentially hedging on money line uh, odds bets. So if you're familiar with sports betting, which I wasn't, (laughs) which I wasn't eight months ago, um, essentially hedging.
0: (laughs) I'm laughing because there's a guy in the office who does this
1: too. So there was a, There was a uh, um, there was arbitrage that could, could be done between like um, Twitter news being announced for like a player out and like being able to seize the opportunity between when moneyline odds change, right, and then essentially using I guess my skills in data analytics and plugging into um, the uh, well the sources for these odds in most cases and kind of hedging bets before they change, so that you can kind of create a gap and lock in a certain percentage profit. Um, But since then I've been, I've been banned from doing that. So I can't do that anymore. Um, Yeah. I mean, like kind of going back to what you uh, had asked, Scott was like, what am I doing with this time? What am I doing with this um, um, change in life? Right. And that's kind of, this is where I've been focusing on is not necessarily making more money, but both of it's been interests as well as kind of flexing into how can I um, take the skills that I have and do something applicable with it? In some situations, it benefits me and some others. It's a learning lesson. Awesome. And so what are, what are your expenses? So total expenses, um, let's see. And so I'm splitting most expenses 50, 50 with my significant other, they they net roughly 2,500 a month. So living in low cost of living area we're we're about 900 um split even for our rent um 60 for car utilities are probably our biggest second biggest expense uh at 420 um for oh, actually a little lower than that uh 160 so utilities split uh, for internet and utilities yeah is about 160
2: awesome so, so how much are you pocketing every month um after tax, or how much do you do you think you're going to be saving after tax um, each month with the new hundred and thirty
1: thousand dollar base? Yeah, so that's that's what I was kind of tweaking, right? So I was trying to get a sense of knowing that there's a four hundred one k limit that includes both your uh, pre tax, after tax, and employer contributions. I was saying I was trying to determine whether or not I could attempt to max the the total IRS four hundred one k limit of fifty eight thousand. And so what I was trying to do was between, between jobs, right? Can I, can I push that so that I am essentially pocketing the same amount of money um, from one job to the next? And um, right now, that looks to be about $5,000 um, on a month, monthly basis. So you know, I'm taking, uh, I've got a salary of $130, um, but I only expect to actually need uh, $5,000 a month.
2: Awesome. So you have a, a, a ton of cash going in here, and, and where where are you you where are you placing that? You've alluded to that, but could we get some specifics around what you have from an investments and and debt standpoint?
1: Mm, yeah. So um, so we just bought a house. Um, so that's my only debt to date, for the most part. I think I've paid off most debt um, immediately, but uh, savings is going to four hundred one k. So attempt to max that out IRA as well. Um, traditional, traditional IRA, because I think, I think I'm now beyond the, um, allow a bracket for Roth contribution. I w- do I have those mixed up?
0: I want to talk about that, but continue on. I don't want to interrupt. I mean, I just did, but
1: uh, you're good. Uh, HSA contributions, uh, attempting to optimize back, optimize into that after tax, uh, contribution based off of the salary I'm coming from the salary I'm going going to, uh, and then any excess that I don't spend uh, is in an app, uh, is in a um, taxable income. So,
0: okay, you have used the word partner, and I am mm-hmm. assuming that that means that you're not married filing jointly for tax purposes. Correct. Okay, so for tax purposes, your limit is I want to say one hundred thirty nine thousand dollars, but that's your salary minus your taxable con- or uh, pre-tax contributions to your 401k and HSA. So your salary is mm-hmm. 130. You're getting real close. You have that $5,000 in that coin thing you were talking about. Um, and then the, the sports betting and all of that, you might be hitting really close to that 139 limit. But remember, you've got your 19.5 contributions if you max out your 401k. I can't remember what the single... Person hSA limit is it's like three thousand dollars or something. So you're at another twenty two thousand. So depending on where your total income is, you should be able to still contribute to a Roth. I'm not a tax professional. please consult one. Don't just listen to me, but you're you know there's some hard numbers there that that uh, are saying that I think you can contribute to your Roth IRA, which at your age, I would do. For two reasons. One, Mm -hmm. it grows tax free. um, And you're 20, did you say 28? You're in your late 20s. Um, So you've got a lot of time for that to grow tax free. And number two, I keep saying this on episode 200, uh, we had, oh, how do I, oh, Kyle Mast, I was going to say, how do I draw a blank on Kyle's name? We had Kyle Mast on. He's a CFP. And he said, you know, based on all these, all this money that the government has been, handing out – handing out is not the right word. You know what I mean. For stimulus checks and all of that, um, they may get rid of the Roth option. And I think something just happened where the mega backdoor Roth that they were going to get rid of is now not being gotten rid of, but that doesn't mean that in the future the Roth may not go away. So I -hmm. like – I mean, Scott's a big Roth proponent, but I like contributing to a Roth IRA while you're still able to. Plus, Mr. I make more money every year, you're going to soon – max out of that. So if you can't, if you don't have a Roth open right now, I would suggest doing that. Max it out for this year. Maybe next year, don't max it out in the beginning of the year. Because if you do, and then you make too much money, you have to go back and do some, well, you like math. You have to go back and do some funky math to figure out how much you put in, how much it grew. And then you withdraw all of that. You pay taxes on the growth. Um, I did that last yeah, year. Yeah.
1: So one of, one of the things that um, has me interested about the after tax contributions is so you know I'm looking at a waterfall. Um, you know I'm contributing to my traditional 401k and I can kind of get into detail why I chose that. But part of it stems back to uh, the Mad Scientist Mad Scientist however you pronounce it. I'm uh, kind of doing analysis on that the contributions to a traditional even after having to pay penalties, if your goal is early retirement is more beneficial than a Roth. And so don't quote me directly, but I think that's kind of what I took away from what I read. Um, so I've always kind of opted for traditional traditional contributions. Um, you know, given that I'm in a state without income tax, you know, Roth contributions, if I plan to move out of state are definitely beneficial because I'm not paying those taxes now. And if I move to a state with a high income tax, then, um, I can kind of lock in that that return, um, so to speak. But it's not that I've never tradi- uh, never contributed to a Roth IRA. At a certain point, I think I made that flip. And so, uh, as far as my IRA contributions go, I've got you know one third in a Roth and two thirds into traditional.
0: Um, do you want to talk about your balances in your four hundred one k?
1: Sure. Yeah, I've got those kind of broken out here. So um, HSA. And I'm kind of um, bewildered by this, but like you know, having uh, worked professionally for close to, close to six, seven years now, I guess um, I've got sixty five hundred in my HSA, or sixty no sorry sixty five thousand in my HSA, and so most of those have been in uh, high growth total stock um, index funds, and uh, I've got uh, one twenty six in my traditional four hundred one k that'll be rolling over to my traditional IRA, uh, once kind of a certain amount of time has lapsed and I can feel confident that no additional contributions will have been, have been made given that I just left my employer. Um, and then after that, I've got 176 in my traditional IRA, uh, 80 in my Roth IRA. And then, um, Scott might like this, but like 109 in a taxable Robinhood account. So, um, at a certain point I realized that I had a significant cash reserve that, um, was just, you know, only getting two to 3%, um, interest on, you know, the, the savings kind I had it sitting in and, uh, I realized I was kind of missing out on some of the, well, market crash flash, right. And then the recent bull run. And so I kind of hopped in, um, and thought I would try my hand at like investing in a few tech stocks, um, crypto, Uh, rather than having it depreciate while it was sitting in my checking or savings account.
0: What if I told you that I, Mindy Jensen, the queen of budgeting, money-sucking subscriptions with the tap. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com bpmoney. That's rocketmoney.com Rocket Money minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit navyfederal.org for more terms and conditions. Pretty good episode, right? While you were listening, you could have been getting paid rent with RentApp. Landlords love RentApp because it makes rent collection a breeze. RentApp uses ACH bank transfers to deposit funds directly into your account. Setup is straightforward for renters. Landlords don't need to download anything. Both have peace of mind with a digital transaction history. Isn't it time you made landlording a little easier? Rent app, the best way to pay or collect rent. Learn more at rent.app landlord. That's rent.app landlord. Listen up, business owners. Here's some quick math. Fewer costs equals more profit. The problem? You're spending more than ever on operations, materials, deliveries, software, and more. So why not reduce your costs and headaches with NetSuite by Oracle? NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite lives in the cloud, which means you can reduce IT costs with no hardware required. Cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because now you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. It makes sense that over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Don't let rising costs sink your business's growth. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com bpmoney. That's netsuite.com bpmoney. NetSuite.com slash BP Money.
2: You mentioned earlier that you had some questions about whether you're maybe contributing too much to the 401k and the Roth um and those types of things. What what are you struggling with? Or is there anything that we can do to help you?
1: Yeah, so I guess I guess from my perspective, like I'm always trying to optimize trade. And um there's a couple different mindsets towards, you know, um, you have enough in your tax deferred retirement accounts, especially if your goal is to um retire even a few years prior to the um, retirement age of like, you know, 62 and a half, right. Is it, or 65? Um, you, once you've got a significant nest egg there, you can kind of coast um, and not have to save as heavily as you did, because you know, you know, getting at 65 that you're going to have what you need to live off of. And any excess can be invested into a taxable account or real estate. And so I think, that's kind of what i'm battling with okay <clears throat> so yeah i mean one of the ways to do that
2: is to think that the money will will double every seven and a half to eight years. Right. So actually Mindy is, is, uh, is, currently filling in a bunch of these numbers right now, um, using an eight year doubling rule. So a little bit more conservative than the rule of 72, um, with that. And so that says, okay, you've got $375,000, give or take a few thousand in your retirement accounts right now. And they're going to double what, you know, every I got eight years. Go ahead. 500.
0: Sorry, Scott. So So 401k is 126. Traditional is 176. I'm calling that 300. Roth is 80. HSA 6. And taxable Robinhood is 109.
2: These are all- I was excluding the taxable
1: Robinhood. Yeah. Oh,
0: okay. So, well, then my numbers aren't quite the same. So this will be-
1: 450 is what the number you should come to, I think. Okay. Um, 450, uh, uh, including the taxable Robinhood. No, no. So I've got, um, just to run through it again real quick, HSA at 65k. Sixty-five. Um, okay, I thought we had six. We had six thousand. Yeah, I think I miss miss misspoke when I said okay. 6, sixty-five hundred. Uh,
0: sixty-five thousand. 60. Wait, what did you put your H- HSA in? Hold on, we we glossed over that. Where where is that?
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
0: I'm sorry. I put so, six thousand dollars in there.
1: <laughs> um Yeah,
0: you're doing okay.
1: Yeah, I'm not quite sure why it grew so fast, but I think you know. Um, given that you're given my HSA is a relatively small balance relative to my 401k or IRA, I thought you know let's diversify and not just do a target retirement or total stock or total foreign stock index fund. Let's do uh, like a high growth. And so I, I think that's why it's played out so well. But um, again, contributing as much as I can to it every year and not withdrawing on it.
0: Okay, so, so I, with the yeah, 450, I guess kind of back to like. <laughs> The yes. the rule of seventy two says that your uh, nest egg is going to double approximately every seven and a half to eight years. I'm going with eight years, and I've got in eight years you will have nine hundred thousand dollars. This is if you don't put any more money in, which I'm assuming you will continue to do. Um, Sixteen years you'll have one point eight million. Twenty four years you'll have three point six million, and in thirty two years you'll have seven point two million. So I think Coast Phi is a pretty good way to describe your financial situation right now. Um, and I said, oh, I'm assuming you'll put more in. Maybe you don't want to, but mm-hmm. I mean, it's reducing your taxable income. I think now the way that I look at this just at the on the surface now is like the game. Okay, I can still contribute to my Roth IRA. So I'm going to put in enough so I can do that enough into my 401k, but then like, I don't know, Scott, let's hear your thoughts instead of mine.
2: Well, I, well it comes down to what you want. You said you want to, you want to be, build a foundation. Was what I heard, which which says to me that you want to become quite wealthy. Is that, is that the, is that the way of articulating this?
1: Um, I think in my mind, yes, that's what I want. But you know, uh, when the the dog catches the rabbit, like what are they going to do kind of situation? Like, I don't know if I would actually live, um, any different than I do now. It's just kind of, I guess that security blanket more or less. Um, so yeah, I guess the trade-off that I'm trying to, uh, battle for myself is, you know, I I think I live the life that I want to live now. Right. I go out to eat. I have the hobbies that uh, I find interesting. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think I could live any more I I don't think I could have any fuller life than I do now. And so I guess what I'm trying to evaluate is, um, what will any more money do for me that I don't already have, I guess.
2: Well, I I think, I think this is where it gets hard and I, I don't mean this, um, It'll sound. I, I don't. I don't, don't mean to say this in a bad way, but like, if you if you don't if, if you're perfectly content with your current situation, you should keep doing exactly what you're currently doing with that. If if you want a specific outcome, then we can begin backing into that. So, if you were to say, "I want to become financially free so that I can I can stop working or make work optional mm-hmm. in as short a time period as possible," that's that's something that we can. We can begin playing around with these numbers in this approach, and begin working with. If you're saying I want to build the largest possible pile over a long-term horizon, that's another thing that we can begin working with. If you say, you mm-hmm. know, I want something, you know, balanced between the two that gets me, uh, you know, a solid pile downstream, but also more flexibility over the next three to five years, that's another thing we can work with. So I think we just need to kind of know wh- wh- how you would like to proceed. Um, with that, because you're you're crushing it right now, you're not doing anything wrong. It's just not, it's going to, it's going to lead to a very large passive pile long-term for you of pile of money. Um, I mean, with this, so,
1: yeah, I guess, uh, if I had to choose one or the other, I, I think given that I'm relatively, um, career driven, um, money driven, let's go with like the biggest nest egg possible, right? Like kind of doing some, um, riskier investments, knowing that, you know, there's a lot, there's a p- potential, uh, loss of that investment I mean, I mean crypto as an example, right? Like, you know, um, why would I be investing it if I didn't think there was an upside? Um, but on the other end of the spectrum, I realized that I could lose everything. So, um, that's where I, that's where I'm somewhat interested in, uh, real estate or di- diversifying my investments, kind of allocating a specific percentage of my portfolio towards, um, different risk tolerances.
2: Okay, great. Um, so, and the next question, um, do you want, how, how active do you want to be in your side businesses? I've kind of got a taste of that with, with the fact that you are are running several side businesses at once, but I'd love to hear it.
1: Yeah. So I I think, um, um, let's say, let's call it part-time, right? Because I think that, uh, with the career trajectory I've seen, um, I've definitely got the better bang for my buck working a w nine job or w yeah, w nine w two. Um, and so my side hustles are nice. They're supplementary income for me to like, you know, buy things that are definitely wants and not needs. And so, um, okay. So, so
2: given that you went the lar- the, the largest possible pile and, and over the long term you're willing to be pretty active and you don't need to touch the money in the, in the near term with that, I, I actually wonder in this case, Mindy, if the 401k is better um, than the Roth as a first as a starting point in this discussion because you're deferring the tax, and if you plan to donate it or put it into a foundation, for example, it might be more money in there um, and more more tax sheltering that you can do with something like that. Um, so that's something to consider. Like that's that's a vote for the the 401k instead of the Roth. Um, since you may not intend to spend some of that money on that, and there's a a long-term foundation with that. Um, Mm -hmm. In terms of ROI, you're going to have to make a a decision about whether you think the stock market, crypto, or one of these combinations or funds is going to do better than real estate over the long run. And here's a framework to think about from real estate investing versus stocks. It's a foundational question that lots of people ask themselves. If I own I, I would expect long term appreciation in real estate to be anywhere from three to four percent per year for price mm-hmm. and rent and rent growth. We're going through a period that is much, much higher than that right now. And who knows how long that will last? Um, a lot of science to point that it will last several more years. I could tank tomorrow with that. But when I think about it from a 30- or 50-year time horizon, which is the same time horizon you just stated uh, with that, I think it's going to be 3 to 4% annualized. Now, leverage, if I, if I have 20% equity um, on that, multiplies that. So, 3% times 5 is 15%. Plus cash flow, mm-hmm. so you can get a stronger return on real estate than you can in stocks. Assuming that you're one of the that you're one of the the many people who is much more comfortable using long term debt to finance real estate investing than you would be to invest in, in stocks, for example. With that, um,
1: so yeah, so that's and I, I, go ahead. Sorry, not to interrupt, but yeah, like I, I think I feel like um, uh, that's well, up until we just bought our first house, right? Uh, that was that was definitely limiting me in, in that perspective of being like comfortable with debt, right? Because growing up, most of my, most of my life, uh, we tried to avoid debt as much as possible. And then kind of coming into my own financial senses, um, realizing that, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable with debt. I'm in a place financially where I can kind of incur that risk. Um, and, am willing to commit to, if you're a landlord or property manager or going through the process of uh, finding and buying a home, um, being OK with the level of or the amount of time that you have to commit to that property um, or process. And so, uh, you know, when I was in school working two jobs, it was much harder. Now I think I'm more comfortable to that idea.
2: Awesome. Yeah. So, so I, I, debt is a bet, right? And over the last 30, 40 years, interest rates have come down uh, bit by bit by bit by bit by bit over mm-hmm. over that entire period. Um, where I'm going with this is when when interest rates are falling, um, the, interest rates are at an all-time <laughs> low right now. It, they could go low. Yep. But I think it's a bad bet for me personally um, to think that interest rates are going to continue falling for the next several decades with that. It's a much safer bet that they're going to plateau or go uh, or, or begin rising, which means that borrowing that money um, is, is, I think, a better long-term use case than it's been for the last 30, 40, 50 years, um, to, to a large extent with that. And that allow you know, and then borrowing and, and uh, uh, borrowing. And using that to purchase an inflation-resistant asset like real estate seems like a reasonably attractive move over the long term. With that, so yes, I have that three to four percent appreciation or, or inflation rate on on Real estate prices and rents that I, that I kind of use as my yardstick when I'm looking at you know a 30 year time horizon, um, but that begins to get multiplied, like I said, with with that uh, the, the leverage portion that I'm comfortable with. So yes, I mean look, we're, we're we're at bigger pockets. Of course, we think real estate's a great a great a, a great option with this, um, but I think that at the end of the day, that's that's the decision now with real estate you'll have to put in several hundred hours you know 100 to 500 mm-hmm. hours learning about all the ins and outs of that or meeting people or networking or thinking about how to how to diy it but if you're willing to keep that leverage on that portfolio for an extended period of time i think you can you have a, a very a reasonable person can think that they'll have a good shot at, at arbitraging some sort of spread between what they can get on that real estate portfolio and what they might get in like a total stock market index fund for example example, um, over, over a reasonably, over a reasonable period of time. How's that for using the word reasonable 16 times, but attempting to articulate that,
1: that point. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's just, um, picking the investment that best suits your personality more generally. um, and knowing what you're signing up for when you're, when you're, when you're going through the process. And so I think with our first term home purchase, at least, uh, I'll learn that. Right. I've kind of learned the front end and we'll be going through a rehab. So, um, you know, sourcing contractors and dealing with timelines and getting a sense of the return on investment for the, for the renovations we'll be doing. Um, and once I've got my feet wet, then kind of going out and saying like, do I want to do this again? Right. Um, if not, I can stick to taxable investing and attempting to max out my tax deferred investment accounts. But, um, yeah, I'm, de- I'm definitely interested in that only because I think the aspect that has me most interested is, um, you know, all, I guess all of the real estate write-offs, right. Or the tax write-offs, um, I'm relatively high income. And so it'd be nice to be able to write off as much as possible. And so that's kind of what has my interest peaked as well.
2: Um, so, so on that note, that's, that's a common, I don't know, I want to say misconception. misconception though with that, where if you are high income, then you usually can't use the income from the losses from your real estate portfolio to offset that income unless you are a real estate professional with that. Instead, mm-hmm. those losses will offset future income from your rental property portfolio um, with that. And then second, I think that, you know, most years in my portfolio, at least, I, I make money, right? So I, I owe tax on the income that I'm, I'm doing from that, even after the depreciation benefits and those types of things, because that's that's what that's what should happen if you're not doing a big rehab or or having a big um, um, expense related to your portfolio. So just note that the, it, it is much more a tax advantaged, I think, to invest in real estate with your after-tax dollars than in your 401k or Roth IRA. For, there's a whole bunch of reasons why why I think that's the case. But I don't think you'll experience tax benefits that will reduce your income, um, especially if you continue to increase your earnings over the next one to, one to three years. I think you're going to go past that limit. So something mm-hmm. to think about.
1: Yeah, that's good No, Thank you.
0: Do you like your job? Like, Do you get up in the morning and, yeah, I'm excited to go to work? Or do you get up in the morning and you're like, oh, Another
1: day, another dollar. Uh, given I just started my job, I I think I've always enjoyed it, right? right? Because I think there's a certain level of um, satisfaction I get from answering questions that people can't answer for themselves, right? And, um, you know, maybe I might get that lo- same level, level of satisfaction from um, bringing those questions to myself. It w- if it was like uh, sourcing contractors or figuring out a lay vinyl or how to solve a specific problem with a a, a a property um i think yeah i mean more more holistically i like the challenge and i like um servicing the people that i work with servicing i say servicing working with right um and yeah does that answer your question
0: uh well yes and um let's go a little bit further if you had 10 billion dollars just sitting around, you could literally do anything you want. How would you spend your days? Would you continue to work? Would you enjoy your job then? Would you prefer to go travel the world? Like I like to travel a little bit. I am not one of these people who wants to get on a plane and just continue going forever. I want to go someplace and then come back to my life. and Because I Mm -hmm. like my life. I want to go someplace else, you know, in a few months and then come back to my life. But some people want to travel all the time and never want to have
1: back to their life. Yeah. I think a part of me likes routine um, consistency. Uh, And if I had to choose, I would probably be a life learner. Right. So um, the various side hustles that I've picked up, right. You know, I may realize at a certain point that like, Hey, this isn't sustainable or I don't enjoy this anymore. Or like I learned the thing that I wanted to learn and I'm not interested anymore and then move on to the next thing. And so if I had $10 billion, it may be go back to school get a PhD, apprentice somewhere, you know, learn something that I think would maybe benefit me personally, learn a new language, just examples, right? And so um, let's say if like, I wasn't necessarily striving to make that 10 billion, 20 billion, right? I don't think at that point I would need to or feel or feel the need to. I think maybe part of me is in, in the position I am now striving for that, but then also kind of balancing the life that I want to live in the moment rather than just chasing the money.
0: Yeah, I think you've set yourself up really well to be able to do that. Um, Things to think about that I don't need an answer for, but like for you to think about for when you're making your, your life choices is, do you want to have children? Maybe you want to have kids and then stay home with them when they're little. I did that. And I'm not saying that my way is the best way, but it was the best way for me. We made plans for me to stay home with the kids because I wanted to. And then when they were back in school, I went and got a job. And now I work when they're in school. So um, it's a great trade-off. I can still do this and, you know, get fulfillment out of a job, but it's not a a 60-hour-a-week job where I don't get to spend any time with my kids. Um, We already talked about travel. What about philanthropy? Do you have any, like... You could be an angel investor in somebody's new restaurant that you really believe in, which is something you are uniquely qualified to both run the data analysis and also taste their food and be like, ooh, nobody's going to want mushroom ice cream, at <laughs> uh, least of all me. Uh, so, yeah. you know, there's...
1: Teach yeah, people that's, that's how good, that's to That's a good thought. Yeah.
0: There's, there's I, I all sorts m- of ways to get so fulfillment.
1: That, yeah, yeah, exactly. I think... Um... Um, I try to volunteer as much as possible. And I think that's, I mean, I used to tutor as well. And so there's a certain level of uh, satisfaction you get from directly impacting someone um, with your own hands or your own ideas and like seeing the benefit either short-term or long-term. And so, you know, um, I hadn't thought about it from a um, monetary perspective, but just definitely giving back to the community and, nurturing the relationships that you have and kind of making an impact.
2: Um, When I'm I'm hearing you you talk here with this, you know, you've got well over half a million dollars in net worth, just got a huge raise moving into a a new place with all this kind of stuff, saving $5,000 a month, um, you know, and, and accumulating wealth like crazy with this. You've got but, but I think, I think you, you're still in this like exploration phase. You're like, okay, I like all, I like my life. I like all of these things. I could go in 40 different directions and be happy with, with all of them. Um, is kind of what I'm hearing, which I think makes it really hard to plan in a good way, right? You, you have this ex- increasingly flexible and strong position that is expanding every month bit by bit in terms of its, its, uh, ability to give you options. You're, Exploring those options reasonably methodically with that and happily, and you know i think I think the, you know maybe maybe more so than like specifically what to do uh, with this is just like that theme of. Okay, great. You're gonna, you know, you're gonna have a pretty large pile down down the road with this if you just keep this up. So maybe just think about bringing a little bit more flexibility uh, into your position over the next couple of years. Um, since you are, you you do seem to enjoy exploring these these different tails and options that that uh, that that come to your come into your life. But I mean. I mean, how you do that, I mean, that could be real estate. It could be increasing your emergency reserve. It could be, you know, starting having one of these side hustles take off. But if you just maybe more so think in terms of themes rather than specifics, because your fundamentals are so strong, maybe that'll be more helpful um, to a certain extent.
1: Yeah. And when you say fundamentals, you mean focusing in on um, one aspect or the other.
2: I mean, the fundamentals of your financial position are just really strong. You have a great job. You spend very little. You stock stock away a lot of money. You know what you're doing when it comes to these retirement accounts. You've got an approach. You're debating um, an an unanswerable question with the Roth versus the traditional um, with this kind of stuff, with with that. And and your position is only going to accelerate over the next year with this, with even more cash uh, going in there. So if you just think in terms of, okay, I'm going to continue to just build flexibility into my position and see where that takes me over the next couple of years that may be more helpful because i don't think you know yet um exactly where that
1: where you want it to take Mm you oh is that is that right i think that's pretty spot on um you know i think it takes uh, talking to y'all at least to have that perspective you know um thrown back at me um to really frame it
2: yeah i i
1: Maybe at some point, maybe in the next, I don't think
2: it's going to be the next year, but in the next three to five years, I think you're going to be like, okay, I'm clear now. This is, this is where I want to go and how I want to, how I want to go about doing that. And I bet you at that time, you're going to be like, you're not going to be like, you shouldn't change much, but I think you'd be like, I'm a little glad I had more money that was accessible outside of those retirement accounts than having the extra fifty grand inside those retirement accounts with that would be my guess i don 't know what the answer is you 're going to have to answer that for yourself, but that would be my guess is that having a little bit more flexibility and and liquidity and access to it in a couple of years is going to be something you'd you'd prefer rather than having to play all those games to get it out of the retirement accounts but that would be my my hunch, and that's the that 's as specific as I can get really with this because because you've got, you're doing all the right things um, with it from from what I see. Yeah,
1: I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, I agree with Scott. I think you're you've done all the right things and now it's like, hmm, which one of these 27 amazing options do I want to pursue? And you don't have to have an answer right now. You're in your late 20s. It's okay to just coast for a while at a job you find interesting and that pays you really well and allow yourself to really, pursue all the options go through your rehab and see how much fun you have with it um if you want to learn how to do a kitchen come on over this weekend we're ripping out all the cabinets and the countertops and the floors and replacing it all so you know a great shoulder workout scott you're welcome too anyone <laughs> you want to learn how to hang cabinets come on over S- sounds great uh, yeah super fun <laughs> my favorite <laughs> but it's you know if you're hiring contractors be slow to hire them because it can be tricky. Go to biggerpockets.com and learn about hiring contractors. Ask in the forums.
1: Well, yeah. Yeah. That's definitely what So, I mean, I don't know how much uh, detail you want to get into about our plan, but I mean, our goal is to move in, kind of settle ourselves into a new city, right? Uh, And then slowly start getting quotes, right? And then kind of going with what we think is um, within our price range. So we have like a budget set out for ourselves. We want to say, okay, what are we going to prioritize? Um, And then also in contrast, what's going to give us the best ROI on our investment um, balanced with the fact that we also want to live in a house that we enjoy. Right. Uh, And so, uh, yeah, I think right now we're in a phase where we're trying to plan that all out. And I, I'll definitely reference the bigger pockets forum to get a sense of, how to weigh all that.
0: Yeah. Uh, from a live-in flipper perspective, live in the house for a while, like three or six months before mm-hmm. you start really like changing things up. Um, you can replace the toilet if you know the toilet's going to stay in the same place. But if, you know, you don't want to do a whole big rehab and then you're in it for a couple more months, you're like, ooh, this would have worked out a lot better if I would have done it this way. Um, I've that, that comes from experience. Every single rehab I've ever done, I jump in with both feet and then I'm like, "Ooh, you know what? This wasn't the best choice." So this
1: one, though, right? this
0: one we're really planning out. We've got our master bedroom. Our master bathroom is just kind of this big disaster from 1970s. And we're like, oh, it the toilet works, the sink works, the shower doesn't. So we take a shower someplace else and we're like really thinking through all of our options. How does this work? How does that work? Um, because we want it to be a wow master bathroom. We've yeah. never had one of those before. So that's exciting.
1: It's, it's good to hear that you're still learning. Oh, for sure. Uh, it seems like oh. it's, a, it's a lifelong learning lesson, right? You always have new problems to kind of confront and face and figure out with a new creative solution. So yeah, that's cool.
0: I would love to know everything, but unfortunately I do not. <laughs> um, okay, well, Matthew, I think this is a lot of fun and I think we've covered a lot of things. Have we given you what you were
1: looking for? Uh, I think so. I think, um, what this conversation has helped me do is, um, shed an outsider's perspective on my situation, which I think, you know, didn't directly influence me, but it's going to help, help me make the next decision. Um, you know, thoroughly thought through. Um, so yeah. Okay,
0: great. Well, I'm excited for that. Matthew, we still have our famous four. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. What is your favorite finance book?
1: My favorite finance book would probably have to be The Millionaire Next Door. I'm um, kind of the aspect of, or part of my story has been living as frugally as possible, living a modest income, knowing that you have like a relatively big nest egg sitting on and yeah, just living the life that you want to live.
2: All right. Well, I think that you are a prodigious accumulator of wealth. Isn't that what he describes them as uh, at this point with that, with the age to income ratio? You're doing great. <laughs> so
1: what was your biggest money mistake? Um, hindsight, probably spending too much money on, bake, on, on a hiatus to um, some culinary capitals, right? So spending, when I was in my early 20s, a significant amount of money on food and um, airfare to do so. And so, um, yeah, possibly finding some balance in that. But, you know, then, then it was only $10,000. Um, you know, is that experience worth it? Uh, kind of uh, com- conf- conflicting perspectives in that, you know, I probably could have spent that money on uh, something else and gotten a better return or different life experience. So, yeah. You can always
0: spend that money on something else. You can always spend that money on something worse. Uh, Did you enjoy yourself while you were there?
1: Definitely. Yeah. Not something I would ever take back, but hindsight, late 20s, Matthew would probably um, uh, think differently about that spending.
0: Okay. Well then it's a good thing that late 20s Matthew wasn't there with you telling you no. Uh, okay. What is your best piece of advice for people who are just starting out?
1: Um, professionally, um, I would say give everything, you know, hundred um, percent, but don't be willing to try new things. Uh, financially, uh, read as much as you can. And uh, rather than taking what something someone says at face value, kind of doing your due diligence and double, triple checking um all that you know uh, with a healthy sense of skepticism.
2: All right, that's awesome advice. What, what's your favorite joke to tell at parties? Why did the bike
1: fall down? I don't know why. Because oh. it was too tired. <laughs> oh, that's awesome.
0: <laughs> I have a chef one. What did the chef say when she ran out of seafood? Oh, it's a calamity. Mm.
2: Oh my gosh, I'm going to be selfish and not uh, share any jokes today.
0: Okay, Matthew, thank you so much for sharing your numbers today and for sharing your story with us. This was really, really a great episode, and I'm so glad you had time for us today.
1: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and I mean, thank you for all the advice as well. I, I really appreciate the conversation. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: Thank you. Okay, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, Scott, that was Matthew and his amazing story and his, you know, we kind of, joke a little bit about it at the end. Oh, which one of these amazing options do you want to do? And But that's true. He's got so many great options. He really can take a step back, look around, and, you know, take time to determine what it is that he really wants to do with the rest of his life.
2: Yeah, I I hope that a lot of 28-year-olds have... Matthew's problem here, where they've got a lot of good options, a strong financial position, and can go in a lot of different directions. And it's about defining and figuring out what you want to do next.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited for his trajectory because I don't see a bad option in the whole thing. I mean, he could continue to work at a job that he likes. He could stop and go back and be a chef at a job that he likes, where now it doesn't matter if he's making $10 an hour. And he can also pare back his hours in general and just say, I only want to work three days a week or I only want to work 20 hours a week or whatever it works out for him. <laughs> is that your cat?
2: That was Fred. Yes. So Fred, Fred's <laughs> first appearance on the podcast is uh, today.
0: I would like to point out that if you want to go to our YouTube channel, you can see Scott's cat walk across the screen. And also I would like to point out that Scott's cat's name is Fred which is not a traditional cat name.
2: I I think it's great. that's funny. I I, I think it's great. I was looking for like a Steve or Carl. You know, I I like those for for cats.
0: (sighs) We have gotten way off topic, but Matthew has a lot of options. I'm very excited for all of them. And I would love to hear your ideas for what Matthew should do in his endeavors. If you have suggestions for Matthew, please leave a comment in our Facebook group, which can be found at Facebook.com slash groups slash BP money. And I'll go ahead and start a little thread today discussing his different options and seeing what other ideas you guys come up with because you guys are pretty clever. If you're not in our Facebook group, please join at Facebook.com slash groups slash BP money so you can talk about money things with fellow money nerds. Scott, should we get out of here? All right, let's do it. From episode 250 of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast. He is Scott Trench, and I am Mindy Jensen saying, Gotta scat, kitty cat, in honor of Fred. Thank you, Mindy.